Hey there, I'm Duarte Geraldino. And I'm Shamita Basu. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. But first, let's catch up with some of the day's top headlines. The coronavirus pandemic hit new global records this weekend. More than 260,000 new cases were reported in a 24-hour period. And over 7,300 people died, the highest single-day death toll since May. With federal stimulus benefits set to expire at the end of the month, congressional leaders and the White House are negotiating a final round of relief this week before the November elections. And a federal judge, Esther Salas, was the victim of an attack on Sunday night. A gunman dressed in a FedEx uniform opened fire at her New Jersey home, killing her 20-year-old son and wounding her husband. We begin in Portland. Federal agents there are cracking down on demonstrators. Oregon Public Broadcasting has some of the best local reporting of the past 50 or so days of protests. It broke the news that federal law enforcement officers traveling in unmarked vehicles are arresting people without explanation. On Saturday, the Oregon Department of Justice announced it's suing the federal government for civil rights abuses. State prosecutors also opened a criminal investigation. They're looking into allegations one officer fractured a protester's skull. President Trump says federal force is necessary to restore law and order. But The Washington Post offers some analysis on the constitutionality of using federal force in this way and what it could mean for the rest of the country. Now, Legal scholars say that the federal government is overstepping its authority here by detaining protesters without probable cause. The ACLU is calling it a constitutional crisis. It says snatching protesters off the streets is the same as kidnapping. And Portland is just a testing ground. According to the White House Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows, the administration is coming up with plans to send federal law enforcement into more cities if they deem it necessary. Americans across the political spectrum agree we've lost a legend. John Lewis, Georgia congressman and civil rights icon, died on Friday. He was 80 years old. Lewis served 17 terms in Congress. Thousands of tributes poured in over the weekend. In the Medium Post, President Obama says his presidency was only possible because of people like John Lewis, who, quote, risked his life and his blood for the United States. In The Atlantic, Adam Serwer writes about John Lewis and civil rights leader C.T. Vivian. They both died on the same day. Serwer says they were the leaders of an incomplete revolution that remade American society. And a little more than a month before he died, Lewis sat down for an interview with New York Magazine. He spoke about how inspired he was to see people protesting police brutality more than a half century after an Alabama state trooper cracked his skull on Bloody Sunday. Yeah, and Duarte, for all these tributes, there's really nothing like listening to John Lewis himself talking about his life and his legacy. StoryCorps shared a couple of clips of the congressman. There was one where he was remembering the time when he was about 17 years old, and he wrote a letter to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And to his surprise, he didn't just get a letter back, but also a round-trip bus ticket to Montgomery. Those early years, he said, taught him what it means to make good trouble. And Vox compiled six of John Lewis's most notable speeches, starting with his speech at the March on Washington in 1963. 
Hard to believe he was only 23 years old. How long can we be patient? We want our freedom and we want it now. Fast forward to 2015, the 50th anniversary of the march in Selma. John Lewis spoke from that bridge in Alabama where he was beaten half a century ago, the one that's still named after the Klansman Edmund Pettus. Five decades later, he reminded Americans there's more work to be done. Get out there and push and pull until we redeem the soul of America. We'll share links to all of this coverage of the late congressman in our show notes page. John Lewis died exactly nine months after Elijah Cummings. Their deaths are a reminder that the older generation of civil rights leaders won't be around forever. There was an article a couple of weeks back by political analyst Perry Bacon Jr. that speaks about who might lead next. And Bacon wrote about the new generation of black leadership for the website 538. Yeah, as Bacon sees it, there are seven camps, seven distinct strains of political ideology within black leadership today. And there are two in particular that are vying for that, the batons being passed to us spot, what he refers to as the younger establishment and the younger anti-establishment. So let's start with the younger establishment. That's people like Keisha Lance Bottoms, mayor of Atlanta, or Congressman Hakeem Jeffries. And their names are regularly floated for high-profile positions like possibly VP or future Speaker of the House. Bacon says they are skeptical of popular progressive ideas like the Green New Deal or defunding the police. They align with establishment figures in the party, people like Pelosi and Biden. And the way they see it, Black politicians that came before them, like John Lewis, had to work hard to get any influence in the Democratic Party. So they're being careful not to squander that. And then there's the anti-establishment camp. These are people like Ilhan Omar or Jamal Bowman who are more aligned with political figures like AOC and Bernie Sanders. Mm -hmm. They support progressive policies like Medicare for All. Bacon says they'd rather see Elizabeth Warren as the VP pick over a more moderate black candidate like Kamala Harris. Bacon also says their power is rising. Their voters tend to be young, under 45, and they have a lot of support from white voters. Mm. And these are just two of the groups. Bacon's analysis lays out the diversity of thought within the new generation of black leadership. And finally, Smithsonian Magazine caught up with several scientists who say not only have they been more productive while working from home, they've actually made significant strides in their fields. Some even made history. One scientist discovered and named nine new species of flies. <laughs> he joked that he might run out of names. <laughs> my, my favorite story was about this space researcher named Stephanie Lizzie Detre, and she'd been planning this study for a while to understand the psychological impact of isolation on astronauts during long missions. So she had chosen six people to be sealed inside a facility in Moscow for eight months under observation. And then coronavirus happened, so the study got canceled. Mm. But it turns out quarantine is pretty useful when you're trying to study isolation. So she ended up recruiting a bunch of her university students to go through these psych tests. They were all stuck in their small dorm rooms anyway. And then she kept expanding to other volunteers and other volunteers. Now the study has over 100 people, which the Smithsonian says makes it the largest space mission study in history. You can find all these stories and more in the Apple News app. And while you're there, check out our latest feature, Audio Stories. These are narrated versions of articles from some of the best magazines and newspapers, available to News Plus subscribers in our new audio tab. 
because great journalism deserves to be seen and heard. Join us again tomorrow.